On this week's Patriot Nation podcast, we have Ben Solak from the Draft Network on to talk some draft. We are talking some Demarius Thomas, some Patriots Hall of Fame, and of course, the schedule just came out, so we'll be talking about that as well. It's a heck of an episode, so buckle up and cue the music. Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands. He has it. Wilson, quick throw. And it's intercepted. Intercepted. Matthew Butler. Butler has it at the one. Matthew Butler stepping in front of the throw. And the Patriots have possession with 20 seconds to go. We are back, and uh, a little peek behind the curtain here. We're recording Wednesday night, which was one heck of a night for Boston sports. Uh, you know, the Bruins and the Celtics with two big playoff wins. What a night, huh? It was. It was a great night. And uh, actually going uh, ahead into game five on Friday, my first ever Bruins playoff game, if you can believe it. You know, I rank my sports probably Patriots, Bruins, Red Sox, Celtics. Obviously, you know, love them all, but if I had to rank them, but. What a night, man. I mean, it's it's a great time of year, especially to be from here. You know, you get, you know, usually if if the schedule, would, you know, went properly, you got the Celtics one night, then you get the Bruins, then the Celtics, then the Bruins, and that usually goes on for as long as it can. And, you know, it's just a, a, another, you know, great thing about being from here. And what a night, man. If it's only the Red Sox could have there. Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah, Friday's going to be the same thing. We got Bruins and Celtics going on at the same time. I'll tell you what, I, when I look at, you know what the what the Bruins did. It was it was impressive. I mean, they were up two zero. They come back. It gets tied. They go up five two. Then Toronto screams back. It Ugh. was just oh my god, what a game that Playoff was! Playoff hockey, and man. Forth. Playoff hockey. Yeah, that was awesome. So that was awesome. And then you know the Celtics were getting crushed. They looked terrible. And uh, you know fourth quarter they come out and dominate and you know end up winning by. Even in, what am I like eight points or something like that? It was it was yeah, ninety nine ninety one. So, um, you know, really really kind of shocking development there. But uh, you know, it's a good it's a good night to be. It's a good day for, to be from Boston. And again, this this uh, episode drops on Friday, and Friday night same thing. Bruins and Celtics. And you know what? The Red Sox keep losing, but so what? Who cares? It's not even. <laughs> it's not. It's not baseball season yet. Like Until I everyone say, else all my friends. Be Before we get into paths, like I said, all my friends. I don't focus on the Red Sox until the Bruins and Celtics are over. And usually don't really shift my focus to the Bruins or the Celtics until the Patriots are over. It's just how it is here. And it's, you know, call me a fake fan. No, it's just you don't understand if you're not from here. It's just the, the beauty of being from here. <laughs> right. No, it's true. And, and, you know, it's almost like the regular season. Not that the regular season doesn't matter. But, yeah, you know, the long, regular though. season, it's just so long, you know, for the for baseball. And it's like then you're in the playoffs. And even – you know, hockey and basketball, same thing, 82 games. So Red Sox is I – mean, I'm sorry, with the Patriots, one game week. So, yeah, you can focus a little bit here and there once, you know, once the two – the other two seasons starts. But, like, it's just – it's one game. So, it's like that's the, you know, important thing we want to be talking about. And obviously, you know, we talk about the Patriots. That's what we do. So, uh, you know, we're, we're obviously more focused on the Patriots. So, 
Uh, with that in mind, let's get into the Patriots. They brought in, they bring in Demarius Thomas this year, uh, this year, I'm sorry, this week. And I mean, hey, you know, whatever. Take a shot, take a flyer. Uh, you know, I wrote an article for Pat's Pulpit basically saying that, you know, don't expect anything crazy from him. You know, I, I would say the absolute most you could possibly expect of him is Brandon LaFell. That's like 100% best case scenario. Brandon LaFell's first year had, you know, 75 catches and, and a bunch of touchdowns and almost 900 yards. So we're over 900 yards. I'm sorry. So he had he caught, he caught one of the best, caught one of the best uh, comebacks in both, uh, both, right. you know, before, you know, Super Bowl 51, but had that great catch in versus Baltimore in the divisional yep. round and then caught touchdown yep. in the Super Bowl. Yeah, he was big. I didn't even think of that comparison. I like that. Yeah. So he's the number one guy that, you know, that's like the absolute top echelon you could expect from Thomas. I, I think, unfortunately, with Demarius, he's 30, he'll be 32 on Christmas Day, as a matter of fact. Um, he'll be 32. So basically, the whole year, he'll be 31. But he's coming off the Achilles injury. It's his second Achilles injury of his career. You know, he already wasn't great last year. Now he's going to be hampered by the Achilles thing. You know, can he get it together for camp? You know, I don't know. Could he be Chad Jackson again? Could he be Eric Decker again? You know, so uh, that's that's what I'm concerned about. Now, you know, who knows? We'll see what happens. There's no way to know, obviously. But I think if if you're a Patriots fan looking at this, don't be thinking, all right, our problem on the outside is solved because it's not. Because Demarius Thomas is not the long-term answer. You know, he might be he might be a decent piece and you know and, and make some contributions here and there, but but I wouldn't be expecting him to be, you know, to be a, a starter even. Yeah, I mean, like you said, if you know, God forbid it, thankfully, I'm hoping we can get Josh Gordon back and then you can pair him with that and then you get a one A, one B, and then Thomas can kinda you know, he he might not have the, the will and the and the you know, drive to win as Chris Hogan, but he could kind of be one of those guys, get behind you, sneak around, catch a couple, four or five passes for a game. He's got a lot of skill, and I think he's got some in the tank. And, you know, I tweeted out yesterday, um, you know, of these guys, people complaining about his age. And I know I know the Achilles, you know, the second time, it, it's that's going to hamper him. You know, whether he's not going to have the same balance in the jump that he did. But, you know, looking around the league, you know, he's only 31. And I say only 31 because there's still some really good receivers that are 30, 31, and consider themselves, you know, still at the tail end of their prime, you know. And he only got $1.2 million, they're saying. It's worth up to six with all these bonuses. It doesn't look like he'll hit them because I think he'll be on the pup list at least to start if they do like him and they are high on him. But if you look around the league, like Golden Tate, $7.5 million cap hit. Alshon Jeffrey, 30 years old, $14.75 million cap hit. Emmanuel Sanders, 32, 12.93. Demarius Thomas, 31, a max cap hit of 6 mil. And I said, I'm not a cap guru, so I could be a little off there, but that's going off spot track, which is is really good. And another one I found, yeah. Doug Baldwin, 32 years old, ha- has been banged up over the course of his career, $10.5 million cap hit. So if they right. can get even, you know, 75% of what Demarius Thomas was for the money they're paying him, I don't see the big deal with the signing. You know, like I said, if people are coming at me, saying, you know, like they don't like the signing. It's like, okay, what's the worst case that happens? They cut him. Like, okay, it's one point two million, whatever. Right. Well, and you and you're totally right about that. I mean, if they cut him, the only the dead money they're gonna see is three hundred thousand dollars if they cut him in camp. So it's 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 really no risk for them. And like you said, you know, that six million dollar cap hit is him catching like seventy five passes this year. So if he performs up to that level, you're getting you're getting a, an unbelievable deal for that production. Now, again, 
do we expect that production from him? No, probably not. You know, but if he were to reach that, then you take the $6 million and you smile all the way about it because you're like, you got to be kidding me that we got, you know, production like that from a guy who we, where we only had to pay him $6 million. So, you know, that's really kind of where it is. I think that's the biggest thing, right? To look at it and say, okay, they're not overextending. They're not paying this guy a ton of money. They didn't have to give up any assets to get him. They signed him to a team friendly deal. And if he can come in and play well, then great. And if he doesn't, then you cut him and, and, and who cares? It doesn't matter. And so I think for the Patriots, what, with the signing, I agree with you. It's a good signing. You know, again, does that mean they're going to be set at wide receiver? No, no, it's not a good signing in that sense. It's a good signing in the fact that, Hey, this guy could help them out. And if he doesn't, then they're really incurring no risk. And so that's kind of the biggest thing for me. And, uh, you know, we'll see, I, you know, I don't love Thomas my, myself. I think he's soft. Um, just from what I've seen of him, you know, in places and, and, uh, you know, so we'll see, but he's a big body theoretically. And so he could provide some, you know, some, uh, some extra for them. Look, you, you said he, he might start the season on the pup list when he injured his Achilles before. Now I understand when he injured his Achilles before he was a lot younger. He's like 24. I think when he, when he injured his Achilles the first time he injured it in February and was back at the beginning of the season. So, you know, you're talking about two less months. To prepare, he's got he's got eight full months to prepare, uh, or nine full months really to prepare before the season starts. That may be that may not be enough time with thirty one years old, but you never know. So, but hey, it's worth a shot. And even if they don't cut him in camp and they keep him, it's like a two million dollar cap hit. You know, if for him to be on the team, it's really nothing. It's nothing. And you know, obviously the goal is, like I said, I'm you know said on Twitter several times, the goal is to get younger through the draft, which they should. You know. We, you know, we'll, you'll hear a little bit later on with Ben, um, you know, some areas of improvement that, that they'll look at. And I think wide receiver is definitely one that they can kind of start to build because, you know, Julian Edelman's taking a lot of hits. He's getting old. He's on the north side of 30. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got some game left in him, but, you know, you're old at that position. So, um, you know, without further ado, I think that's time we should probably head to that interview. Huh, Pat? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So this is Ben Solak from the Draft Network. All right, we're going to welcome onto the show Ben Solak. He is a draft analyst for the Draft Network. He is the deputy editor for uh, Bleeding Green Nation, and he can often be seen lurking and staring creepily at people on Sunday nights on HBO. Ben, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, a little three-eyed eagle for you. <laughs> so, um, so Ben, you know, let's. It's a Patriots show. Obviously, you're you're you know you're a draft guy, and we'll get into kind of specific uh you know more general draft things but you know specifically patriots wise you know that they got 12 picks there's a lot of targets for them what do you see them doing in the first round if you had to guess now obviously you know who the hell knows what's going to happen but you know but if you had to guess where do you think their 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 main targets are going to be i mean yeah when i look at at the strengths of the draft and what it could potentially be around 32 Number one, I think that's where the tight end class does start to get exciting. Obviously, you've got some top-end guys, but I think you're going to find multiple players who you'd be fine spending 32 on at the tight end position there. I also think that this is a really strong interior defensive line class around the 30s and the 40s. And so that's another position where I think it makes a lot of sense for the Patriots to address there at the back end of the first round. And so, yeah, when you're sitting at 32, it's impossible to kind of get a feel for – 
for for trades and for targets. Like I like you know, as you guys well know, the Eagles are picking uh, thirty two in the most previous draft, and the Ravens <laughs> wanted to come up and get a fifth year option on a quarterback. You know, so like that potential fifth year option. You know, we saw San Francisco trade up for Josh Garnett a few years ago under that same concept of wanting the fifth year option. And so yeah. 32 could be a prized possession for that reason. Uh, you get the fifth-year option on the rookie deal. And so it's tough to know. Trade back is always on the market then accordingly. But the two positions that I like as far as the strength of their class are tight end and interior defensive line at 32. So, Ben, I got a quick question for you, too. I put out a poll. Me and Pat discussed it a little bit. I don't know if you were going to get into it, Pat, but if not, I'll start it now. I put out a poll, and it was kind of 50-50 uh, when it ended. And I was curious if, you know, if you think – Obviously, being a little more of a, you're a draft expert. I'm I, I'm not too too good at it, but I know my fair share. Um, do you think the Patriots have enough? Obviously, with six six picks inside the top 101, to be able to stay at 32, but also make a trade to you know another trade inside the first round, maybe at like 23 and pick at like 23 and 32 or something like that. Trade maybe a next year's pick or one of those you know six inside the top 101 that wouldn't be 32 if that makes sense. Sure. In the hypothetical, sure, you have enough firepower. It would cost a lot of them, but you could. The thing is that you have to particularly find a trade partner who has enough room on their roster to roster, you know, five or six guys they're going to be picking in rounds two, three, and four. You see what I'm saying? Like, you know, you can only – go ahead. um, No, I was saying, too, the Patriots – I'm not a, uh, not too too great at the cap, but there's a great guy. If you, I don't know if you follow him, uh, Miguel Cap Pat's Cap. He um he said that the Patriots, with all these picks, they don't have enough cap space or roster space to be able to draft all those guys and keep them on the roster cap wise. So it would make sense to. De- I mean, they're definitely going to make a trade. It's just if they do it like that is basically what I'm saying. No, 100%. And that's that's the reality of it is that. If you're looking to move multiple day two picks, you have to find a team who thinks they're going to be able to roster all those players. So that winnows out your your potential trade partners a fair bit. Most likely, if you're moving up into the 20s, it's going to cost you 32 and something else because most teams won't want to fully move out of round one. And, you know, unless we're talking the Seahawks, most teams like to stay in round one and make a pick. So, you know, it's tricky. It's possible. But when you first make that call, probably the team you're calling is going to want 32 and you're going to have to talk them off it. And that's a tricky bargain. Right. Well, it's almost, and it's, it's interesting, but it's almost like, it's almost like a Baltimore or, you know, a Seattle, like you said, uh, a team that values the assets as much as the Patriots do. The Patriots do a great job of valuing assets as opposed to just draft picks. Okay. We're slaughtered at 32. So the player we're going to get at 32 is this or whatever, but they don't look at it that way. They look at it as strictly as an asset. And, you know, you need to find a team that does that. And there's not a ton out there to do. I think, you know, like I said, Baltimore does it. I think, like you said, Seattle does it and the Patriots do it. And there's a few others kind of, you know, mixed in there. But, you know, uh, that's what you really have to find. Because like you said, you know, are you going to draft five guys in the second round? No. But, you know, okay, I get a first round pick next year and I get, you know, a, a second round, a third round and something else. Right. And so it's like, okay, am I going to make all those picks in the second round? Maybe not. But now I have two second round picks. I can take those and move up further in the second round if I want to, or a second and third. So, you know, you need to find a team that's willing to do something like that, um, you know, as opposed to just, okay, we need six more guys. It's just, just like, that's, that doesn't make, you know, no one's really going to do that, or, you know, because why? Why would you? You don't need that many young guys on your roster, you know? 
Right. And I mean, when it comes down to looking at the way the Patriots are built as well in the, you know, what we're assuming is the twilight of Brady's career, what we're assuming is Belichick, you know, like finishing up his reign of dominance over the league. You had multiple first round picks last year and didn't even end up getting significant contributions from Sonny Michelle and Isaiah Wynn. You know, Michelle gave you some good games. Wynn didn't do much. Like uh, the Patriots aren't a team that needs to have young talent come in right away produce heavily be a part of the team to be successful i mean their their ability to work with with mid-range veterans i mean they just added demarius thomas today you know what i mean like their ability to to bring in those free agent pieces and immediately make them effective as veterans is one of their greatest strengths from a roster building perspective so for the patriots you don't necessarily need to be drafting high impact year one rookies and those are the players you find in round one so it makes sense that they move back out right all right. Now, uh, just out of curiosity here, and, and, you know, Spags touched on it, and I think I think that they may use 32 to move up into the 20s, you know, and maybe even – and perhaps even use next year's pick, you know, and keep 32. But do you think there's a chance, you know, the guy that – and we're going to talk about, you know, guys you love, uh, you know, in a little while. But one, the guy I love and I have my eye on is Hawkinson. I just think he's a beast. He's as close to Gronk as, as I've seen coming out of the league, coming out of college. Um do you think there's any chance that he slips down into that, you know, early twenties range and, you know, the Patriots go up and get that guy? Because I, I don't know. I, I look at him as, as a top 10 to top 15 talent in this draft overall. And so I don't see a reason why he would, but crazy things happen. And I don't know if, you know, if you think maybe there's people don't need him or, you know, he could slide. I'm just, just curious on your thoughts there. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could tell you you'd get him into the twenties. I mean, I, I don't because I don't want the Patriots well, to happen, right. but he'd be great. He'd be great up there. Uh, and I think that he, you know, it, it would be something the Patriots would be interested in, but I don't think he makes it there. And simply there's a murderer's row, I think, starting at seven with Jacksonville, eight with Detroit, nine right. with Buffalo, 10 with Denver, 11 with the Bengals, 12 with the Packers. Those six picks, all of them could go Hawkinson and very easily justify it. So even if he makes it beyond 12 with the Packers, he survives that. He'll be perceived as, as falling, and then there'll be teams like Washington at 15 who say, listen, hey, we need ourselves uh, a starting tight end. Jordan Reed's beat up. Vernon Davis is super old. Hawkinson's falling. Let's grab him. You know what I mean? Like, if he right. gets into the – if he gets beyond 12, immediately teams will start thinking he's falling and somebody's going to want to grab him. I don't think he makes it into the 20s. If I had to guess, I think he's going top 12. Right. I would agree. But, you know, he can dream at least. A man can hope. A man can hope. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, as far as Patriots are concerned, is there anyone other than Isabella and Renfro, obviously, is there anyone that you think would be like perfect for their system? You just look at that guy and you're like, that's like a Patriots guy, you know, or a guy that, you know, the Patriots like that skill set in a player. Oh, sure. Uh, we're talking wide receivers specifically. Stanley Morgan Jr. out of Nebraska. Great mm. hands, fearless over the middle, good yak ability, but the route is super crisp. Oh, they're clean and they're tidy. It's really fun to watch him snap in and out. One of the best, if not the best, route runner in this class. And he's a guy who's going to get a little bit underdrafted because he's not the tallest dude. He doesn't have the strongest downfield profile, but he's an above-average athlete with a good weight profile. And, again, great separator in the underneath the intermediate areas. So in an Earhart Perkins kind of system, I mean, his ability to hit timing routes, catch in stride, and then pick up yaks, pick up yards after the catch, I mean, it, it, it screams Patriots to me. He's likely a third-round sort of a guy is where I think he ends up going. And I think if you look at the starters as Philip Dorsett and Julian Edelman, 
it might be a little tricky to figure out where Morgan fits because those guys kind of already have his ideal role locked down. But listen, I mean, if you put Dorsett, Edelman, and Morgan out on the field, you're really testing the man coverage of your opponent. If they have to go man, I mean, they're going to be in a ton of trouble sticking with those three guys. And as everybody knows, if you run zone against Brady, he'll just dice you to pieces. And so I think right. that, that you can make Morgan work for sure. Hmm. Interesting. He's a guy that we, we've talked about on the, on the show before. And, uh, and I think what you said there is perfect is that he's being underdrafted. He's not a first-round guy. He's not even a second-round guy. He's a third-round guy where the Patriots can, can pick up at the end of the second round or pick up with a third-round pick and feel like they're getting a guy who is, you know, maybe not a first-round talent, but is perfect for what they're doing in their system. Um, and that's, you know, that's just – you're totally right. I mean, beyond all the in, all the physical skills, like you said, um, you know, just that alone screams Patriots, you know. And so uh, so he's definitely a guy yep. that, that we're keeping our eye on. So I'm glad that you feel the same way. So um, interesting, interesting. All right. And then uh, just curious here. Quarterback, Patriots. We every now. I mean, look, everyone's been wrong for years now, but like we assume the Patriots are going to take a quarterback at some point. Who is now? They're not going to take a quarterback at the. Well, okay, they're probably not going to take a quarterback at thirty-two. But if they don't, where where do you think that you know? Who's your favorite quarterback? I say outside of the first round that you think will fit in any system. You know, a guy that you're high on, but isn't necessarily a first round talent. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to find a guy outside of the first round that can fit every system, right? That's the the sad reality oh, right. of, of course, quarterbacking, yeah. right? Is if you if you can fit any system, you're probably going first round, like you know, if you yeah. have that ability. Um, when I look at the quarterbacks I like specifically, is going to be like a guy like a Will Greer out of West Virginia or a Tyler. Well, thank you so much. Me and Pat love him. <laughs> I think Greer Greer very simply like uh, you know it, it's tricky because. Sometimes players like Greer worry you because if Greer's your starter, you probably have a low ceiling as a team because Greer's just not a super high-ceiling NFL passer, right? But the thing is, he's not currently being viewed as a potential starter, and I think he is. So I like him relative to where he stands, but I get the idea that, like, you know, Greer might be too low-ceiling to even, like, be worth the long-term look. I guess as a backup, obviously, then he sticks around. But Greer is a guy who's got great deep accuracy, great intermediate accuracy. He's got a very live arm, and he's very good creating uh, when pressure comes. He's very good responding to pressure and being creative. And those are important traits for a young quarterback. doesn't scream Patriots, though. The guy who screams Patriots to me would be Ryan Finley out of NC State. And this is a player who arm strength concerns are really going to eat into his pro projection. When he throws outside the numbers, the ball dies. When he throws deep, typically he has to throw back shoulders. He really can't lead fellows all the way down the field. That being said, we're talking about one of the most accurate quarterbacks that we've seen in this class, if not the most, and especially when we're talking about those tight, quick, intermediate, short windows, those tight areas between zones, really laces them in there very nicely, really pinpoint placement, and that's important for the Patriots system. That's what's going to keep you successful. Quick distribution, quick throwing release, and the ability to put balls in tight windows. So Finley, to me, outside of round one, makes the most sense of potential Patriot quarterback. Okay, interesting. I do like the kid from Buffalo, like you were, you mentioned, uh, Tyree. Is it Jackson? No, Jackson's not. Is yeah, Jackson Tyree Jackson. Kid can sling it. Yeah. I don't know if he fits in this system necessarily, but, the, I mean, he just looks like, you know, he looks like one of those quarterbacks. You're like, oh, my God, I love that guy. You know, like, I don't know if he can actually play in the NFL, but he looks like he can play in the NFL, you know? Yeah, he's fun to watch. He's a man. Yeah, yeah. So, so it should be interesting. So now, 
uh, okay, what for those for those listeners out there that don't know, and I don't know how you don't know if you listen to this, but Ben wrote a, an amazing article about uh, Caleb McGarry from Washington, and Adam Schefter, like the Adam Schefter, like just organically tweeted that article out to the world. What was that like, dude? Because obviously you didn't know. You weren't, you know, you weren't planning, you know, any, anything. You didn't know what was going on. He didn't contact you beforehand. So like when you found out that Schefter tweeted your article out, like what was that feeling like? I mean, man, like uh, Schefter tweeting it out was sick. There's nothing I can take away from that. That was amazing. The coolest part of it was the reason I found out was because two guys who like I came up with in like the draft Twitter world, right? Like two guys who just, we were watching films, talking it out, saw the tweet before me and immediately, you know, uh, tagged me in it and let me know what was happening. And then there was just a massive uh, influx. There's a slew of people who were excited to share with me the fact that this had happened. And these were guys, like a lot of guys who have followed me and guys who listen to the Eagles podcast on SB Nation radio, right? Bleeding Green Nation radio, the guys who've, followed me at TDN, you know, uh, and they followed me at NDP scouting before TDN. Like, there's so many people who have been a part of, of, of me continuing to work in this field for a couple of years who were very genuinely excited for me and had a great time. And, like, that was that was the coolest part of it, you know what I mean? Like, uh, not the only thing that makes happy moments better is when a lot of people share them with you. And so it was it was cool that you have to tweet it out. That's a big moment as a writer. But for me as a person, it was it was just really cool to see the amount of people who were excited about that for me. That was that was an awesome feeling. That's awesome. That's cool, man. It's it's great. And it's nice too when you you clearly put a lot of work into that article. And so it's nice when you you put that much work in it and then you get you get that out. You know, and it's it's pretty nice. Pretty nice. So right. and the the nicest part of it was just, you know, Caleb did all the work. He's the one who lived for 23 years well i'm I, right. you know i just kind of rode the end of it you know what i mean yeah 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 that's cool so hey man good for you it's uh so it's great ben switching it over now and, and i know you talked about it a little bit but kind of getting in depth say you know the patriots don't trade up and they keep 32 who's a guy that you know you you know i mean i guess depth depth of the wide receiver position is what they need. They they kind of need to get young there. You know, they could use some interior D linemen, um, but you never know what they're going to do. Like we talk about all the time, who would have ever thought the Patriots would draft Sonny Michelle with when they had, you know, Rex Burkhead, James White, all, sure, yeah. all the roster. Um, who's a guy that, you know, you think you you pinpoint and can say that that guy is, is a sure, is sure going to Patriots at 32. Oh man. And obviously, like, a lot has to happen, but you know, you know what I'm saying. No, for sure. I think that, yeah, when I look at, at the guys who's potentially going to be available at that time, and I'm looking particularly for a guy who just screams, like, oh, man, he's a really good player, and then he's just going to get underdrafted, and he's going to somehow fall to the Patriots, and they're going to grab him. Uh, Amani Arawarie, the cornerback out of Penn State, is, I think, a really exciting player, and he makes sense for what they've got on the roster. In terms of super fluid, and he's got good length. They typically don't spend super high picks on corners and I acknowledge that but Aura Warrior I think is going to be a top 20 player for some people on boards he's this is a weird corner class where a lot of teams like a lot of different guys in different ways Aura Warrior uh, a high caliber individual as well Penn State really they, they really love him there in the program uh, so Aura Warrior is the guy who I could potentially see them going for I think the other name that makes sense to me is just like you know kind of an out of nowhere selection that could potentially be at 32 uh like a, a 
I think about like an Akeel Harry. I think about like Hakeem Butler, like a big, mm. super strong, super physical wide receiver. Not what we would expect from the Patriots, but if they really love one of those guys, uh, potentially at 32, they need another wide receiver. And like I said, you know, Stanley Morgan's a tricky fake because who plays the X? Well, maybe they go out and they get themselves a prototypical X. We saw what they did with Randy Moss one year. You know what I mean? They prototype X. Oh, yeah. it, it can be huge in that offense. And so I'll, I'll, I'll circle kind of those ideas, maybe a corner like Ottawa or just like a big traditional X like Nikhil Harry or, or Hakeem Butler. I like it. I like it. And you're right. I mean, they did the same thing with Gordon. And, you know, who knows whether Josh Gordon's going to be back this year for the Patriots or not. But, but when they have that superstar X, they can absolutely do a lot. Then you worry about, I mean, I call it Randy Mossitis with Brady, where he just, he looks at one guy and he's just throwing to him, you know, 75% of the time, no matter what, whether he's open, triple cover, doesn't matter, you know, and, and, uh, and Brady's best when he's, when he's facilitating the ball and just throwing to the open guy, um, you know, so there's a little bit of concern on that, but especially with a rookie, you don't imagine he's going to be forcing it into a rookie right away. And so, um, yeah. That's a guy that could maybe develop into that type of guy. And then when Brady eventually moves on, now you have, you know, your superstar X there for, for you know, whatever quarterback has to has to try to fill the shoes of Tom Brady. So, um, you know, not a bad not a bad guy to start with. So uh, from your tight end spot. Now, look, you know, Patriots picked up Safarian Jenkins. You know, who knows what's going to happen with him? Everyone kind of assumes that the Patriots are going to are going to go after a tight end at some point early. Obviously, you have Hawkinson, number one. I assume Fant, number two. Where do you have the other guys? For me personally, I have Sternberger third um, and then Irv Smith behind him. I was curious about kind of where, you know, where you are. And I know there's other guys, you know, in that draft that you're, that, you know, people are very high on too. So curious about that three, four, and then also any other guys that you're, you know, you're high on past those guys. Yeah. Much like I said, I like that, that 30, 40 range for tight ends. Third for me is Irv Smith, the kid out of Alabama. Right behind him, uh, fourth is Jay Sternberger out of A&M. And Sternberger is a fun player. This is a guy who was at Kansas, Juco to A&M. So really there's a high ceiling there that we may not have even hit yet. Sternberger's ability up the seam is only second to Noah Fant out of, tight end, out of Iowa. And obviously we know that up the seam is important for the Patriot tight ends. So to me, Sternberger at 32 is not something we should rule out. And it's something that would make a lot of sense from a fit perspective. Following them, I have uh, a, a thickness in Dax Raymond out of Utah State, Dawson Knox at Ole Miss, and Kahale Waring out of San Diego State. Those top seven are all top 70 players for me. Uh, Knox and Waring are gonna are these, you know, uh, lesser developed athletic types. You know, uh, weren't super used in college. Great natural receivers, good route runners. They have a really high ceiling at the next level, but it's a bit of a projection. Raymond is the other side, older prospect, not a super great athlete, not going to be that deep seam buster type, but as a, as a flex, as a Y, as an H back, and as a tight end two in the underneath areas, really smart, really reliable hands, good route runner, not afraid of contact, and a good blocker out in space as well. So my tight ends go Hawkinson Fant, then Irv uh, Smith, Jay Sternberger, and then Dax Raymond, Dawson Knox, Kahale Waring. Sternberger is the name I would circle as, hey, his seam ability is really going to make the Patriots excited. All right. It's interesting. It's interesting. In the mock draft we did uh, with uh, <laughs> with uh, Mark Schofield last week, I I picked Sternberger at, at thirty two. So we'll see. I mean, I you know, just just, just like the it. fact that we're saying just the fact that we're saying it makes sense means that they're not going to do it. But you know, <laughs> it's good to it's good to know that at least I pretend like I know what I'm talking about. Especially since I drafted, I think I drafted David Montgomery thirtieth to Green Bay, which was 
Packers fans were not pleased about that pick. Let me tell you, they were not pleased about about that uh, about that mock draft pick. So they're sensitive. They're always yeah. sensitive. So, but anyways, um, so anyways, listen. Let, let's get away from the Patriots just for a second, and I, I want to just chat with you about guys that you love in the draft, and it could be guys that you irrationally love in the draft. You know, guys that not irrational. I shouldn't say irrationally, but like. Guys that aren't day one guys, but that guys you're like, I can see that guy being a good pro, or I love what he brings to the table, or maybe it's a story, or whatever the case may be. I know you have Quinn and Williams as your number one overall player, you know, and in your, I don't know if it was your most recent rankings, but you were just like, he's the best player in the, in the draft. That was it. That was all he wrote, and that's all that was necessary. He's just the best player. And so, you know, maybe it's him, maybe it's other guys, but, you know, any guys that you just, like you personally, like outside of just the, you know, just the grading part of it, you just, you love that guy and you think he's going to be successful in the league. Yeah. I mean, if I give you one, one per possession, uh, Morgan's my guy at wide receiver. Already talked about him, Stanley Morgan, uh, my seventh overall wide receiver. Love him. I think he's a great player. I go to tight end, Travon Wesco out of West Virginia. Uh, kid 275 came the Juco route. Absolute bull in the middle of the field. Loves to hit people, <laughs> loves to punish, rarely gets tackled by first contact which is mm. a very exciting trait. Uh, safety would be Ugo Amadi out of Oregon. This guy is as, as, as nickel, yes. you know, strong safety nickel as you'll find. Really super fluid, great movement skills. You can make a really good slot cover man out of this player, and that's an important skill at, at the next level. The Eagles had Avante Maddox playing it really, really well by the end of the season. Running back Darren Hall out of Pittsburgh, 215-plus pounds with true 4-4 speed and a really nice burst profile. So getting up the field, getting vertical – not going to be the best change of direction guy, but one cut explosiveness. He's very, very underappreciated. Quarterback, we talked about him already, Will Greer, my third overall quarterback. Really like what he potentially brings in a bad class. He's undervalued. and He should go, uh, I would say, early on day two. Offensive tackle, I'm much big on uh, Ryan Bates out of Penn State. Smaller guy, might have to move to guard, might have to move to center at the next level, but movement skills really clearly has great body control and that's going to matter on the interior in his own blocking scheme he makes a lot of sense linebacker cody barton out of utah a slightly older prospect but he was overshadowed by some bigger names on that defense played better than them tested better than them surprisingly good in coverage uses his length well has good instincts and that's important for nfl linebackers interior offensive line drew some out of oklahoma straight nasty he's an angry son of a gun Good athlete, great hands. He's a ton of fun just as a tape watch in general. Uh, the interior defensive line guys, Cortez Brown out of Cincinnati, needs to learn how to use his hands a little bit better, needs some more technical work for sure. He's a little bit of a thinner tweener type, but the, the Patriots would really like him, I think, as a penetration sort of player, as a pass rusher. Really good first-step quickness. Uh, on the edge, I would say that uh, DeAndre Walker out of Georgia is a player who was injured, so he missed a lot of the pre-draft process. He was a senior bowl invite and a combine invite. But great first step when his feet are right. His stance is a little bit wonky. Knows how to use his hand up with the arc and has natural bend. And so he's going to be a great day two selection for somebody. And then last but not least, at corner, I'm big on Isaiah Johnson out of Houston. Wide receiver, convert to corner. Uh, a guy with tremendous ball skills. Surprising zone skill. A lot of these wide receiver converts we see, good and press man, bad and everything else. Surprisingly good zone player. He's got good instincts. If he learns how to not be grabby down the field, He's got a starter's potential year two, year three. That let me tell you something. That right there, that was that was pretty damn impressive. <laughs> for, for anyone that was, that was questioning, anyone that was yeah. questioning the ability of Ben here, uh, holy Christ, that was ridiculous. And let me tell you something. 
ladies and gentlemen, rewind that tape back. It's like it's almost like a rap verse. Like rewind that tape back and give it another listen. Write down some of those names because I'm sure you know guys that like you're talking about that are undervalued guys that are guys that you know people aren't necessarily paying attention to, but have good tape and good film and are good people. Those are guys the Patriots are targeting. I wouldn't be surprised if at least one or two of those guys got taken by the Patriots in the second or third day. So uh, that was that was uh, it was fantastic. That was great. So um, interesting. Ugo. Uh, Ugo, is it Ugo? Is that Ugo Amadi? That guy is an intriguing guy. He he almost sounds like a Pat Chung role type of player, where you know he kind of is gonna instead of really playing safety. When you look at Chung's numbers last year, he played slot corner like forty five percent of the time last year. He wasn't even playing safety for the most part last year. So that's the type of guy the Patriots love in Chung. When they drafted Chung originally. And they didn't they didn't get his position right. He went to Philly, he sucked in Philly, he came back to the Patriots, and they were like, yes, we did. know what we're doing with this guy now. And they put him in the right spot. And that's the type of guy where now they see it again, and it's an, another Oregon guy, right? So it's like they see that guy again, and they're like, holy crap, like second or third round, you know, if he falls there in the second or third round, like that's the type of guy that I think they'll want to bring in again. And it'll just extended Chung for a few more years. But, I mean, you can't have enough guys like that on your roster. Yeah, it's true. And, and and the name of the game for safeties now is the ability to spin down in the box. You can't stay hiding up in a split field cover two anymore. It's just impossible. So you have to have some skill down in the box if it's being a quasi linebacker and hitting a guy or if it's rotating over the nickel. And that's what Omadi brings to you. I think he's a very high floor player. Super high character as well. Won the inaugural uh, Lombardi something award. It's some famous football player's name I can't remember. But he won an award for – character and off-field practice in in college football this year up against like oh. the rest of the country it wasn't like Pac-12 or Oregon it was the whole country right. like you know like Tua was up there in this award and Umadi beat all of them out he was a tremendous guy yeah that sounds that sounds like a Patriots guy for sure so interesting that's uh that's fantastic Spags you get anything else any other questions nope that'll do it for me I mean it's everything I needed to know <laughs> Yeah. Like All said, right. Cool. If, if, if any any Patriot, I'm, like you said, any I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots take one of those guys because they tend to find their gems day two, day three, anyways. I mean, look at the guys that have just got paid: Trey Flowers, Chandler. Oh, Chandler Jones isn't a first day guy, so. Right, but yeah, but that's but that's what they do. They find those guys. Malcolm Butler, well, Butler's a different situation, oh. obviously, but but you know all those guys. So it's interesting. I do have I do have one final question for you, Ben. It's an important question. Yeah, it's a question that everyone wants to know the answer to. Are you the Night King? No, I mean, listen, I'm hoping I am because if I just look like Bran Stark and that's it, that sucks. So I better be something cool. And so Bran's the Night King. Big win for Ben because now I'm actually a cool character. Good point. That's a good point. Pat, That's I good keep point. telling you to stop ruining this stuff for me. I gotta, I gotta catch up. Just, well, we don't know. It's, it's just, just a theory. This is a fan theory. There's no actual information here. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I haven't. I'm, a, I'm behind on Thrones. I just started it. I, I, I'm so mad. Biggest regret in my life is not getting into it sooner. So. It's just the. I mean, just the fact that everyone talks about it. That's the other part of it. It's like not even. It's an unbelievable show. It's the best show in the history of television, probably. But like. Everyone's talking about it, so then it's like you then you miss out on on half the cultural uh, references. I know, so that's the way it goes. But anyways, Ben, thank you so much, man, for joining us. Before you leave, you know, shout out whatever you're doing. Obviously, you're on the Draft Network, you know, and and Bleeding Green Nation as well. But just you know where they can read you, where that you said you host a podcast, so what the podcast called, where they can find that, and uh, and kind of go from there. 
Yeah, so all the draft stuff is at thedraftnetwork.com. If you like quarterbacks, uh, the contextualized quarterbacking portfolio is up. There's a ton of charting data on quarterbacks. Super fun. Uh, yeah, and the Eagles stuff is at Bleeding Green, and, and BGN Radio, which is a part of the SB Nation radio family, uh, is, is my podcast over Bleeding Green Nation. I'm on the Kist and Solak show. And so as you can find our Eagles stuff, if you ever want to hear about how we're doing a little bit down south of y'all. But uh, the Draft Network and, of course, the live shows uh, in Nashville. Draft Network LLC is the Twitter handle. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, all three days of the draft, we will be live from SDK in Nashville, partners, partnered with uh, Under Armour Rush and Orange Vanilla Coke, uh, bringing to you guys our analysis of the show, of the draft live as it goes on. So that's going to be a ton of fun. If you're in Nashville, come holler. Uh, but if not, just give us a watch. Again, it's on Twitter, at Draft Network LLC. That's where the shows will be. That's great. You know what? I totally forgot to mention that QB contact. That was, uh, that's fantastic. I love the wheel there. It's so interesting. The whole pressure situation is really fascinating because, and you say it, you know, you said it when you tweeted the stuff out that, you know, quarterbacks dealing with pressure is the number one problem with college quarterbacks when they get to the pros, because you're dealing with pressure so much faster in your face and it's coming from different places and you have to be able to number one, identify it, but then also number two, deal with it when it's in your face. Absolutely. If you can't respond to pressure, you're not going to survive at the next level. Right. So true. So interesting. Oh, and before I let you go, you mentioned the SB nation and then and it made me uh, remember what, before this is posted, we're, we're peek behind the curtain here. We're talking on Tuesday night, but, um, we did the SB Nation mock draft. Patriots had the 32nd pick. We drafted uh, A.J. Brown from Ole Miss. Just a quick, oh. like, 30-second breakdown of it, of uh, A.J. Brown. As high floor of a player as you'll find. I mean, great catch technique, great route running technique. Isn't, you know, a world breaker. He's not going to be a dominant round one. Uh, I shouldn't say round one if you draft him round one. He's not going to be a dominant wide receiver one player in terms of down the field and incredible yak or anything like that, but super reliable target. Is going to be on time, ready to catch the football. Great blocker, very physical. And, and, and you love the production that he put out at Ole Miss. Like I said, super high floor. So, he may, like again, another guy who makes a ton of sense for the Patriots, right? He's in that Stanley Morgan vibe. Right. Love it. He, and it's interesting with him is that, you know, he comes out with D.K. Metcalf, and he was the clear number one at Ole Miss, even though D.K. Metcalf's on the team, and everyone's talking about him being the number one receiver and everything else. And yet, you know, Brown's the guy with all the numbers and the number one guy and everything else. So uh, it's just kind of interesting when you have him on the same field as, as Metcalf, you know? I mean, yeah. And it, it comes down to how Ole Miss chose to run their offense. Uh, hopefully all those guys, him, Metcalf, and DeMarcus Lodge, the other receiver is going to get drafted. Dawson Knox, the tight end. Hopefully they right. all get to places where they can get a little bit bigger of a piece of the pie and they, they go to systems that fit their skill set the best. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Well, thanks again, Ben. We really appreciate it. And, um, you know, maybe we'll talk to you soon. And we'll talk to you again, uh, you know, if, if the Patriots and Philly meet up again. And, uh, you know, it'd be, it'd be fun. It's been been a lot of fun having you on. Sure thing. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Spags. You guys do well. Yeah, thank you, too, you man. so much, Ben. So, once again, thank you to Ben Solak. Uh, you know, someone, you know, being the same age as him, he's got a ton of knowledge. And I think he made me feel a little bit stupid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, great kid. He's got a bright future. And uh, we thank him so much for coming on, obviously. Crazy time of year for him, and with the NFL draft so close, uh, really means a lot to come on. So thanks again, Ben. And, uh, you know, we're almost done with us today, but, uh, Pat, before we go, uh, three Patriot Hall of Famers, uh, finalists nominated, whatever you want to call it, Richard Seymour, Rodney Harrison, and Mike Vrabel. Pat, I'll let you start first. You know, who do you think is in and, and why? 
So it's it's a tough one, man. I mean, these three guys all deserve it. And, uh, you know, I think if you look at it, if you talk about most qualified, it's probably Seymour because he's the best player of the bunch. He's going to be in Canton one day. He's a great player. Belichick's talked about how they wouldn't have won the three Super Bowls without him. He's a great player. He's not the guy I'm voting for, but he's a great player. I think, you know, Vrabel's interesting because he's probably the worst player. I mean, you know, worse is in quotation marks there. Like the lesser of the three players there. But he was might be the best Patriot, you know, when you talk about the, you know, the uh, the flexibility and playing a million different positions and everything else. But, but the guy I'm voting for is Rodney Harrison. I just – Rodney, to me, changed the way this game – changed the way the Patriots played defense and really set the tone for, you know, maybe two of the best teams in the history of the NFL, that 03 and 04 team, were just insane. They were so good. And, you know, they had Brady back then, but they were really controlled by the defense. The defense still won them those championships, and Harrison was a huge part of the of that. And the biggest thing for me, honestly, about Harrison – He's getting screwed by the Pro Football Hall of Fame. They're not really even considering him for it. He, in my eyes, is one of the best safeties in the history of the game. He is uh, one of only two NFL players to have 30 sacks and 30 picks. The other one's Ray Lewis. So you talk about a guy that, you know, does both of them. You're talking about the best middle linebacker, arguably, in the history of the NFL, and you're talking about Rodney Harrison. And that's it. That's the list. So, you know, he just getting after the quarterback and also intercepting passes – there was nobody better. And and the biggest thing is that people didn't like him. People thought he was dirty or cheap, which he wasn't. If you watched him play, if you really watch his game and watched him play, he wasn't dirty. He wasn't a dirty player. He didn't go after guys. He did. He set the tone. He was out there to try to intimidate guys and to make mistakes. And, and that's what he did. And he was great at it. And so, to me, that's why I vote for Harrison. And he won't get into the Pro, the pro Football Hall of Fame, which is a joke. Uh, he, but it doesn't look like he's going to. So he has to get in the Patriots Hall of Fame because he deserves it. And uh, and so that's why I'm voting for Rodney uh, to get in the Patriots Hall of Fame. What about you, Spags? Pat, Pat you said the same thing. Said, said touched upon all of it. And um, I'm going to go with you on, on Rodney Harrison. You know, great ball hawk. Um, you know, that that was a guy that, you know, um, if you haven't seen it, it's a great documentary, his football life on NFL Network, how, you know, he gave like, his blood, sweat, and tears to the Chargers and, and, you know, dealt with some suspensions and, and some little bit of off-the-field stuff and, you know, was kind of viewed as that dirtbag. But, you know, he really, really just, like you said, set the tone and, you know, wouldn't have a problem telling guys off, telling fans off, brought the energy every day. A guy that you loved having on your team. And, you know, he came here, he changed the way he played, he acted, and he says it all the time that Bill Belichick changed him as a person, a player, rejuvenated his career. And, you know, he made two huge picks, I believe. I know it was the one at the end. I think he had one earlier in that Philly Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rodney was awesome. He was one of those guys that you loved having him on your team and, and always set the tone, like I said, with some big hits, big plays. You know, always came up like, like the Ron Harmon, you know, he is today with those big picks late in the game. You could always depend on him. I'm going right. to go Rodney Harrison. No disrespect to the other two, like I said. No, of course. Uh, Rodney Harrison's got my vote. Yeah. And you know what? He he got popped for the PEDs, but I love, you know, the fact that he took responsibility yeah. for it. Yeah. He took it he like said a man. He, he said, if he didn't, and he, yeah, and he said he didn't, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't have done it 
Um, and the only reason he did do it is because it, it would allow him to get back on the field faster. Right. And, you know, right. whether you're going to believe that or not, but I think that's a, that's a believable thing. These guys want to make a living. These guys want to play. Yeah. And when something like that happens, you know, if there's an, a way they can get an edge and just get back faster, I think Julian Edelman did the same thing. I don't look at him, right. you know, in the wrong way. He's not like Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire, you know. They did it to get a little bit, and that's, you know, obviously a discussion for a later time. But, you know, I, the people will hold that over again, over his head. I, I don't believe in that. Right. I agree. And one, my favorite, maybe my favorite Harrison story, going into the 04 AFC Championship game, Pittsburgh was 15-0. and 0, um, I'm sorry, 15-1. and 1. Roethlisberger had never lost as a starting quarterback. And uh, and leading up to that game, Roethlisberger is a rookie. Leading up to that game, the coaching staff said to Roethlisberger over and over and over again, do not throw the ball near, 80, near 37. Just don't throw it near him. I don't care who he's covering. Do not throw it to him. He's going to make you think that the guy is open, and he's going to step in front of it and pick you off. Do not throw it to 37, whatever you do. So what does he do? He throws it to 37, and Harrison picks it off and takes it back for a touchdown. And they obviously ended up crushing the Steelers that game. But it just illustrates to me, you know, the type of player he was where they knew that. And he wasn't considered – he's not a – you know, he's not an Ed Reed. That's not who he was. But he was – he, you know, he played the game mentally so well. And like you said, he was just a ball hawk when he needed to be. And the coaching staff knew it. And, you know, Roethlisberger knew it as soon as he threw it. He's like, oh, crap, I threw it to 37. And see you later. He's gone for a touchdown. And, and just, I mean, uh, you know, just unbelievable. And he was he was the best. So I think he's the guy. Yeah, you said it, you said it uh, yourself. And like I said, no disrespect to the other two guys. Rabel was awesome. Seymour was awesome. You know, those two guys that Belichick traded away and kind of left a sour taste in their mouths. But. You know, they handle it like true professionals. I think Vrabel and Belichick actually, Vrabel said they didn't speak for a while, for a couple of years. So, yeah. I mean, not that that's any reason why he wouldn't get in, but no, he's got right. a on here. But, Pat, I think, uh, you know, we'll start looking forward to next year. Crazy how it's coming about us. Schedule is announced today. Yeah. And uh, why don't you break it down for us? And I know you're excited because you're going to be going to a lot of them. No, it's great. It's great. I'll tell you what, the opening night. So here's the thing about opening night, and this is what makes it interesting about opening night. I hate the fact that it's the Steelers because I think the Steelers is a crap matchup. I just think, you know, that rivalry is over. However, the Steelers have always talked about Sixburg and they have six championships and no one else does. And now the Patriots are going to unveil banner number six right in the Steelers grill piece. And the more I think about that, the more I'm like, okay, I'm not excited about the game, but I am excited about that part of it. So, yeah. you know, that that's that should be a fun one. So we'll see. You Absolutely, know what I mean? But yeah. that's... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, yeah, like, I, like you know, we talked about earlier on the phone, it would have been great to see Kansas City, but like you said, with the ratings being so high, it's going to be high to begin with. And, you know, we want to we want to late. You know, we want to show down. I think they're week fourteen. You don't want to play them early in the year. You want it to mean something. You know, where they got the same records, or you know, winner ultimately takes the one seed, the home field advantage. Um, you know, I think like, as we go on, that the Patriots have a tough what's it end of October to like mid December. That that's little yeah, like six or seven yeah. week stretch. Yep. You know, but uh, that that's when they're playing their best football. That's when they're gearing up. You know, so yeah, have an easy couple weeks. You know, get the confidence going, and then gear up and let's go. Yep. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. So the Browns is where they start that off with. The Browns are coming in October 27th into Foxborough for a 425 game. 
the Patriots are playing Monday night the week before in New York or New Jersey or whatever against the Jets. My, uh, and Cleveland's coming off a bye. So they're going to have an extended break. Patriots playing on a short week. And so, you know, it's just kind of – they kind of all – you know, sometimes how uh, the NFL will try to do that and give the other team an advantage. And I think for the Browns, you know, they're kind of the the NFL darling this year where it's like, oh, my God, they might be good. And, you know, they're coming in New England, and they're going to try to give the Browns a little bit of a competitive advantage, but maybe not too much, but a little bit, you know. And uh, and that starts off that run. And like you said, man, it's it's Cleveland at home in Baltimore, which is a Sunday night game. Then you get a bye. Then they're in Philly. Then they're home for the Cowboys. And then they're in Houston. And then they're home for the Chiefs. Like, that is a heck of a schedule right there, like right in the middle. Luckily, the beginning and the end are pretty simple, are pretty easy. But that middle man is going to be rough. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, hopefully they're healthy then. And you know, Josh Gordon might be back for uh, after week six. So you gear up for him week seven, get him back rolling. Um, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset about that. No, neither <laughs> I would I. would not but, be upset about that. You know, so they like we said, they get an easy first, you know, six, seven weeks. And then we gear up and. You know, I mean, the, the ones that stick out to me were, you know, at Baltimore. That's a tough game, you know. Um, yeah. But the home versus KC, I'm looking at it right now. It's, they are it's home. Yeah, home against Kansas City at 425. Yeah, you know, at Houston, Sunday night football, that's a tough one. Whether you want to, you know, think it's not, they'll be an improved club. At yep. Philly, obviously coming off the bye, that's a tough one. Uh, Cleveland, like you said, Cleveland on a on an extended bye and we're on a short week. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're looking at the first couple of weeks. You get Pittsburgh and eh, my at Miami. That'll be tough, you know. It'll be hot down there, especially earlier in the year. And you get Jets, Buffalo, Washington, Giants, Jets. I mean, if you lose any of those, like, come on. I mean, right. you know they're gonna drop a couple early on. It, it always happens. You know, chalk them in for for Miami. You know, maybe they drop one. You know, at Washington, some you know little dud game. You know, mid week four or five, something like that. But. Right. I mean, ultimately, it's not a bad schedule, especially for a defending Super Bowl champion playing another first-place schedule. Right, it's true. And you mentioned the Dolphins, you know, early in the season. And, you know, it's been widely reported, right? The Patriots suck in Miami. They just play like crap in Miami every year. They always do it. I love having Miami early in the season because, like you said, they tend to struggle early in the season anyways. If you go into Miami and you're going to lose in Miami anyways, you might as well get out of the way early. And then we have Miami last game of the season up here. Miami always sucks in the cold weather at the end of the season. They're always terrible. It's always a layup win every year for the Patriots. So that's perfect for what the Patriots want to do because I feel like, okay, you lose a few games at the beginning of the season, fine. And the end of the year, you're kind of coasting and you're, you know, you're kind of getting into your own, hitting your stride and, you know, and you can, uh, and you can win some of those games at the end. So, you know, so we'll see what happens, but um, you know, but that one I'm looking forward to. So, um, I'm happy about the the early. I mean, everyone says, "Oh, it's so hot." I don't care. I don't care how hot it is. Like I just they suck in Miami all the time, no matter what. So just get it out of the way early and have Miami come up here in the cold and make it a lot easier for us up here when we actually have a chance to win the game. That's the way I feel about it. Yeah. So, but you know, we'll see. I think uh, I think you're right. I mean, some of those games are going to be interesting. The Cowboys are like the, the the NFC teams that are coming here are fun because we don't see them often. You know, having the Cowboys here is cool because they're not here. They're only here once every eight years. And same thing with the Giants, you know. And so it's like it's cool to see those teams uh, in the building. 
And so, you know, that'll be that'll be fun. And honestly, as a fan going to the games, there's there are two night games that you have to worry about. There's the first game, which is Sunday night football, and the Giants game, which is Thursday night football. And that's it. Or the rest of them are one o'clock games at four twenty-fives. And I think it's what do they have? They have one, uh, two, three, four twenty-five games, so then three one o'clock games. I mean, that's that's exactly what you're looking for. You know, that's really exactly what you're looking for. So um, you know, from a fan's perspective, I think the 425 games are the best games. And so uh, from a fan's perspective, you know, for people that are going to the game, it's uh, it's a nice schedule for them. Last year was like all night games, rough, dude, rough schedule where it's like, you know, we had Thursday nights and Monday nights and, and for, uh, Sunday nights. And I was like, man, this is just, yeah, it can be, it can be taxing, especially when you got to go to work the next day. And, you know, uh, it's, uh, it can be tough. So it's, you know, it's nice to, nice to have some, uh, some afternoon games, you know? Oh yeah. I'm sure. Especially, you know, later in the year, um, you know, you don't want those as much as fun they are, and you know, football in the cold and the bats are so good. You don't want to sit there in the cold. You want the early games. No, and honestly, I mean, you talk about a 425 game in December, it's, it's almost dark by kickoff anyways. So it doesn't even, you know, so it's like, it's perfect because you're not out too, too late but you're in the cold anyways. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of what, you know, that's what you're looking for. So, um, so I like it. I'm excited about it. One interesting thing about, about the schedule, not relating to the Patriots, Schefter tweeted this out earlier today, but he said the Buccaneers will not play in Tampa from September 22nd until November 10th. It's a stretch that includes five consecutive road games with two West Coast trips and a London game. Like, how is that even possible? How did the NFL schedule that? For, it's just insane that they would do that. They make Tampa go to the West Coast twice and make them go to London, and they're not, they don't play in their own building for like two full months. It's crazy. Yeah, that, that's very unfortunate. I have to agree with that. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's going to be rough for, uh, for Tampa. You know, still a fairly young team. I don't know if anyone believes in Winston still, but still a fairly young team that's, you know, trying to, trying to, uh, you know, make some headway in a tough division. And they had to play, you know, five straight road games with a bunch of West Coast games and a London game. Like, man, that, that's just – that sucks. So that's the way it goes, you know. Absolutely, so, man. So anyways, that's going to – I think that's going to do it for the show. Um, thanks for sticking with us. Thanks again to Ben Solat for coming on the show. Uh, every time I say his name, man, I, I think I'm – everyone's like, Zoe? And I'm like, no, no, not Zoe. It's so with an S. And they're like, oh, okay. So, you know, but uh, Ben put on a display, a display today. Uh, so, you know, he really, really did a heck of a job. So that was a, a lot of fun having him on. And and uh, that's going to do it for us. Next week is the draft. Is the draft. We're going to be on. We're going to jump on as soon as the Patriots draft or if they trade up or they trade out, whatever they do, as soon as the Patriots make a move, we're going to be on with you guys. Uh, and, and, you know, our episode comes out Friday morning. So, First thing Friday morning, you'll be able to fire it up and you'll hear instant reaction to the Patriots pick or trade or whatever the heck happens uh, next week. But man, the draft is finally here. Thank goodness. And, uh, you know, and it'll be here next week. It's great. I know it's crazy. Time's flying by, man. Sure is. All right, Spags, have a great week and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Take care, guys.